Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, this time from Pastor Nick Scott. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. A very good morning to you all, and uh, welcome to a new month and uh, a new season as of yesterday when uh, winter began and uh, the temperatures plummeted to the mid-twenties, didn't they? (laughs) Unseasonal weather. But a new preaching series, as Sue mentioned, which um, we'll be working our way through the first half of Acts. And uh, this is a series we've called By My Spirit. It'll take us through, actually, to the end of July. And uh, our focus will be on what might be described as power encounters, where the power of God is evidently and manifestly present in various stories through the book of Acts. Uh, One of the reasons, actually, that this power of God was so clearly manifest was that uh, the book of Acts represents the beginning, the initiation of a whole new era of salvation history across the face of the earth. So the Son of God has come, you know the story. He's brought the message of the kingdom of God. Repent, the kingdom of God is near, is the heart of Jesus' message. He's given his life, he's been raised from the dead. And now, as he promised, he sends his Holy Spirit to birth the church and to continue the kingdom work of Jesus through the faith and obedience of ordinary, everyday people. So the initial launch of this new era is is quite dramatic, actually. Because it's as though the Lord is kind of going, bang, you know, something, there's something new, something wonderful is starting, something different that I'm doing on the face of the earth. It's a new day. And so in line with that, on the day of Pentecost, again, you'd be familiar with the story, you've got this, this uh, spectacular, unmistakable sound of a violent, it says, a violent rushing wind uh, inside the room there. Uh, you've got the physical manifestation of of flames appearing over people's heads, people suddenly beginning to speak in languages other than their own tongue, languages that other people could understand from around the region. So no one in that upper room on that day was left thinking, oh, this is just all a whole lot of hype. This is just people getting carried away. It's just emotionalism. No one was thinking that. Uh, People from the outside looking in may have jumped to that conclusion. In fact, we know some of them were saying, oh, these guys, they're all drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, but they're all drunk. But if you were inside the room, make no mistake, those people inside the room knew this was not hype. This was the power of God. People were bewildered. Uh, They were amazed. They were probably terrified out of their wits in actual fact. But they knew it was God. They knew this was something God was doing. Now, uh, we don't see those same spectacular, dramatic things week after week as we meet. We don't uh, typically uh, hear the sound of a violent rushing wind here in our auditorium. We don't see um, flames appearing over people's heads. But, you know, the same Holy Spirit is here. The same Holy Spirit is active in our midst. The same Holy Spirit continues the kingdom work of Jesus through the faith and obedience of ordinary everyday people like you and me. And so Jesus' prayer that we prayed, some of us just a few moments ago, may your kingdom come, Father, may your kingdom come. 
May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your kingdom down to earth. That prayer uh, certainly was answered in a spectacular way on the day of Pentecost, that first day, but it continues to be answered in the lives of ordinary people today. Those power encounters through Acts are recorded because there are things that God wants to teach us through them that uh, absolutely have relevance for us here in our current day setting. So our reading today sets the scene at the beginning of Acts before the day of Pentecost, it is actually, and uh, we'll hear from Acts 1, the first nine verses. I think Suzanne Bradbury might be reading them for us. Thanks, Suzanne. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father that he promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set aside by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Amen. Thank you, Suzanne. So after Jesus rose from the grave, we know know that he appeared to many different people at many different times. Uh, and places over a 40-day period. One stage, he, we read in another scripture, he appeared to 500 people all at once. Uh, so you imagine kind of this auditorium mostly full. It's a lot of people, a lot of witnesses who all saw Jesus return from the dead. Uh, then as we've just read in Acts 1-9, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud covered him from their sights, what we refer to as the ascension. Uh, Interestingly, some of you might be aware that uh, Thursday, just gone, was Ascension Day, uh, which just simply means that it was uh, 40 days after Easter Sunday. So it's um, a timely passage for us to look at today. Well, this morning as we consider the series ahead of us in Acts, this journey that lays before us, there's a couple of questions I'd like us to consider that will uh, set the scene for us. And the first question we'll put on the screen is, where is Jesus right now? So there's a series of options on the screen for you. We might just uh, go with uh, a bit of a show of hands. Uh, who thinks that Jesus is here with us today? Some of you do. Not everyone's convinced. Who thinks that uh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven? It's like, a, it's like school, isn't it? Remember at school when you've got to put your hand up and uh, everyone looks around to see what the smart kids are putting their hands up? So what is, has, has Merle Mabry put her hand up? She's definitely going to be right. 
Hands up for number three. Is Jesus dwelling in the hearts of believers? Yes, okay. So it's a bit of a trick question, isn't it? What we need is one of those uh, D, all of the above options. Don't you love them in uh, multiple choice questions? If it ever says D, all of the above, it's probably the right one. Uh, D, all of the above. Well, let's look at some scriptures. Is Jesus with us today? Well, yes, Matthew 28, 19. Uh, Some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he didn't say, look, you know, I can't make it, but I'll be with you in spirit. No, he said, I will be with you. I am with you. I'm with you always. So Jesus is with us. Is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, yes. If you know your Bible, the disciples saw him ascend. And uh, as we've just read, and Ephesians 1.20 tells us that Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. If you're taking notes, you might want to just jot down or type into your phone. Colossians 3.1 Uh, Hebrews 1 3 are the key references that just back up this idea that Jesus as he ascended to heaven he's now seated at the right hand of the father which just simply means doesn't literally mean he's sitting on a chair it means that he's in a place of authority and uh, continuing his reign from heaven is Jesus dwelling in the hearts of believers well again yes John 14 23 for example says Jesus says those who love me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them wonderful promise actually from Jesus you put your faith in God and Jesus himself will come and he will dwell with the father with the spirit in the heart of those who believe maybe uh, as we try and wrap our heads around that question of how can Jesus be in all those places at once this quote from Dr. R.C. Sproul will help our understanding the person of Christ is still a perfect union of a divine nature and a human nature the human nature is in heaven the divine nature is not limited to the physical confines of the body of Jesus the divine nature retains its property of omnipresence, which is just a fancy way of saying that he is able to be everywhere all at the same time. Omnipresent, all present. That's helpful to me. Uh, if it just confuses you or you know, leaves you more with more questions or you have a slightly different understanding, well, that's okay. Uh, bear in mind, we might all be wrong as we try and wrap our finite minds around the infinite things of God and try and uh, gain some sort of understanding of this thing that we refer to as the Trinity. God is three and yet he's one. How do we make sense of that? Well, we try and make sense of it and we understand what the scriptures say and yet we also recognise these things many ways are beyond our understanding. All right, well, here's a second question for us to consider. Why did Jesus ascend to heaven? If you ever stop to think about that, having defeated death, been raised from the dead, defeated the grave, why would he not just then travel around the world and uh, embark on uh, you know, this sort of extended 2,000 plus year uh, preaching tour around the globe? Surely that would have been a good strategy. Well, it was important, I'd suggest, even necessary for Jesus to return to the Father and uh, This morning, I want to give you three reasons why it was important that Jesus would ascend to the Father. And also, associated with those three, I want to give you uh, three key words associated with each reason. So, number one, 
Jesus had to ascend in order to enable the spread of the gospel. And the key word uh, for this first point is wait. And my real hope is that as you leave today, you'll walk away this morning with, uh, with the, these three words clearly in your mind. The first one is wait. Remember when Mary encountered Jesus outside the tomb after the resurrection? Uh, Graham spoke about this a couple of weeks ago at Easter time, probably about 40 days ago. Uh, she tried to hug him, but Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Jesus knew within himself that he only had a limited amount of time before he would be returning to his Father, and he knew that this was all part of God's overall strategy to spread the good news of salvation. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is Perth. Uh, we're sort of the ends of the earth. But we know uh, if Jesus had stayed on earth, his physical presence would have limited the spread of the gospel because physically he could only be in one place at a time. It was only when he was then uh, raised to the Father, or ascended to the Father, and uh, sort of achieved that glorified state that he... Uh, he, he, he retained that property of omnipresence, if you agree with Dr. R.C. Sproul, as I do. But in returning to the Father in heaven, he could then send the Holy Spirit, thereby multiplying the effect of the spread of the gospel throughout all the earth in a very rapid fashion. So during this interim period after his death and before his ascension, Jesus' key message to his followers is this word, wait. Wait here in Jerusalem. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And I'd suggest, actually, it's a good word for some of us here this morning as well. Wait. It's hard to wait, isn't it? We don't like waiting. We like things to happen quickly. We have the Holy Spirit with us, of course. And so in that sense, we're not waiting in the same sense as the, those first disciples were asked to wait. We have the Holy Spirit. So often we think we know what should happen next. The danger is that we pray and then we, instead of waiting, we race ahead of the Holy Spirit. Rather than waiting on the Lord, waiting for his timing, we have this tendency to jump the gun and jump ahead and take matters into our own hands. Because we pray something and goodness me, the Lord seems to be taking a long time. And so... I'll just try and make this thing happen myself that God seems not to be responding to. Yet so often the Lord is saying, wait. Because God's timing is perfect, his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are beyond our thoughts. As we read in Isaiah, he sees things that we can't see, he understands things that we can't understand, he knows the future that we don't know, He knows our hearts that even we don't fully understand our own hearts. And so as we wait for him, as we wait for his prompting, his word, his timing, then we will see that the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, goes before us and by his grace, brings us then along in alignment with his plans, in alignment with his perfect timing, if only we'll wait. So that's the first word. The second word, My second point is that Jesus ascended. The reason why Jesus ascended was in order to instill faith in the hearts of believers. 
And so the second word I want you to remember is believe. What was the first word? Wait. Who said believe? (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Second was believe. There's something about faith that is critical to our ongoing experience of God. I love the story of Thomas, you know, when he's having his own personal faith crisis after Jesus' death. And uh, he says to his friends as they're gathered together, he says, yeah, sure, you've seen Jesus. Sure. I don't believe it. You can understand, actually, him saying that. Totally identify with him. I watched Jesus die on that cross. I saw them shove that spear into his side. We saw all of that. We saw him die. And you know what, says Thomas? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. Well, a few days later, I think Thomas, you know, (laughs) has an interesting experience. Jesus appears to them, and uh, as he appears to them, he says, uh, Hey, Tom, come over here for a minute. Put your fingers into my hand where the nails were. And put your hand here, Thomas. Feel this on my side where the spear went in. Stop doubting and believe. Now that must have been quite a moment. Well, we know it was a moment. Thomas, who then of course fell to his knees and said, My Lord and my God. But then Jesus says, Because you have seen, you believe, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. See, there's a principle that Jesus is teaching Thomas in that moment. It's the same principle, actually, that he was teaching his disciples um, whenever children were around, a number of occasions when children were around. And uh, he would say things like, unless you change and become like these little children, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become like children, you'll never see the kingdom of God. The principle is well summed up by uh, this, what I think is quite a profound statement. I read uh, recently in one of the devotions I was using this week, it said this, I don't have it on the screen for you, I'm sorry, but but you'll just, just listen. It says, while it is sometimes true that we must know in order to believe, in God's kingdom it's more often true that we must believe in order to know. This is the childlike faith. You know, it occurred to me that if you're walking around physically with Jesus the man during the course of his life, watching him heal people, raise people from the dead, calm storms, perform miracles, literally walk on water, you're watching him do these things, you're actually seeing with your own two eyes, as some of them did, Jesus transfigured before their very eyes and Moses and some other Old Testament characters suddenly appear. You know, this is not normal. You see all of those things. You see then him return from the dead and actually be in the room with you. Let's face it, it doesn't, have a, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to believe that he's the son of God. It takes some faith. It wasn't automatic. Not everyone who saw Jesus believed. Not everyone who saw miracles believed to this day. Not everyone who sees miracles believes. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. 
And as I said, there's something about this, uh, this issue of faith, of belief, that's important. God rewards a simple childlike faith, a faith instilled in our hearts by the reality that Jesus is not physically with us, but by faith we know that he is with us. By faith, not by sight. By faith we know that he is with us. It's a childlike faith that says, Lord, I believe. I don't see you, but I believe. I don't understand everything that's going on, but I believe. And even when things in my life continue to happen that are, that are troubling, that are wrong, things are going wrong. You know, I've, I've lost my job. I've, you know, I've, I'm having trouble in this area. I'm just, I continue to battle with different things. Terrible things happen all around me. And yet still I believe. I'm a person of faith. It's a childlike faith that God, uh, I think, smiles upon and, and brings reward to. So, Lord, I believe. Number three... Jesus ascended to give power to his followers, the power of the Holy Spirit. And here the key word is receive. What was the first word? Wait. You still with me? Second word? Believe. The third word is receive. What was this power for? What was its purpose? Well, we could answer that in many ways. Power to heal. Power to overcome the enemy. Power over sin. You know, there's times when we struggle with temptation. We think, oh, I can't get past this, this particular sin or this particular addiction. No, you can't get past it on your own. But you have, the Holy, you have power. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome sin. More than just your own willpower, which might come in handy, but won't actually do what's required. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, power to forgive, to forgive the sin of others. Even when they don't deserve it, they go, oh man, I don't think I can ever forgive that. No, you probably can't forgive that person. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. God empowers you to forgive other people. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Help me to forgive others. Power to lead people to a place of salvation and victory in their lives. Power to do the kind of things that Jesus did and that he said that we would be able to do in his name. Remember, he said that, even greater things you shall do in my name. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit within. So, uh, yes and amen to all of those things. That's what this power is for. But, here in Acts 1, Jesus gives only one main purpose for this power that we will receive. And here it is in Acts 1.8, a very famous verse. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. This is the purpose of the power, the key purpose. You will be my witness. Now, somewhere along the line in the Christian world, this word witness seemed to become twisted in its definition from something that I am into something that I have to do. So it somehow came to refer to an awkward conversation with my neighbour or my work colleague <laughs> about my faith. I don't really want to have the... Oh, but I should, I should really witness. I should witness. And in order to have the conversation, you know, I need to memorise the four spiritual laws, whatever they are, so I can just recite them. Oh, that'll, that'll, that'll convince them. That'll work. 
or I need to uh, be able to draw one of those diagrams with the two cliffs and the chasm of sin that separates us from God and the cross of Jesus that bridges the gap and saves us from the fires of hell underneath. If I can draw that uh, diagram impressively on a, a paper napkin in a cafe, then I'm witnessing. Well, nothing wrong with that diagram, of course, and certainly it's a good thing to be able to articulate uh, the things of faith and uh, speak with clarity about the things that we believe, certainly. But let me remind you of the meaning of this word witness, which in the context uh, of this passage is a noun, not a verb. Something I am, not something I do. The Greek word is maturis, from which we get our English word martyr, uh, a calling we might be a little less excited about. Uh, But the word translated witness literally means someone who tells of what they have seen, heard, known, or experienced. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. What he's saying is, you will see. You will hear by faith, you will see. You will hear. You will know. You will experience God at work around you. And you will tell of those things. That's what a witness does. I'll give you a graphic example. Um, this happened about a week ago, I think yesterday, a week ago, a Saturday morning, I think it was, here in Perth. Someone stole a Ferrari. Uh, someone was killed. It was terrible, actually. Terrible thing that happened. You know, I don't know if any of you actually saw that, if you were actually there in North Perth when that happened. But I'll tell you this, if you had seen it, I guarantee you that as soon as possible after that event, you would be telling someone about that. You'd be on the phone to just about anyone you could get hold of. You'd, hey, guess what I've just seen? I've just, terrible, like a terrible thing, an amazing thing, a spectacular thing. You wouldn't, you'll see it on the news tonight, you wouldn't believe it, I was there, I saw it, I was a witness. Incredible, amazing, spectacular. That's what a witness does. That's what a witness is. Someone who sees something or experiences something and then tells of what they have seen or heard or experienced. They can't help themselves because of the nature of what they've seen. Now, you know, surely God was at work somewhere in that scene. Ways that we can't perhaps understand at this point. But when it comes to your faith in God, the question is, what is God doing in your life? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you discern? What do you know? What do you experience? Have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? And do you continue to receive that power in your day-to-day life? And let me be clear, I'm not talking about uh, you know, a preoccupation with the supernatural or the spectacular or the miraculous. Spectacular things for the sake of spectacular things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an earnest desire in your heart to see and discern and experience the reality of God in your everyday life. Do you pursue that? Do you seek after that with all your heart? Because if God is not at work in your life in any way, then you have nothing to tell. And actually you're not a witness of anything. You don't witness anything. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything. You don't have an awareness that God's at work around you. But understand this. Jesus never said, believe in me and you 
will become a religious person who attends church once a week and has a set of intellectual beliefs about something. The promise of Jesus is that as you put your faith in God, you will receive power and you will be a witness to the work of God around you and in your own life and experience. You'll see it and you'll discern it and you'll experience the reality of God in your day-to-day life and you'll tell of it. You'll tell of it. You won't be able to help yourself. Let me tell you what's happened recently in my life. Let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you about how faithful he is. Let me tell you about how he's provided. How he's been at work in my friend's life. How I've prayed and I've seen these things happen. As we close, I'm going to lead you in prayer. and um, It's a prayer focused on those three words, actually. A three-part prayer. Wait, believe, receive. And... uh, I invite you as I pray, if that word resonates with you and you feel it's a word you need to take hold of, then during that part of the prayer, I just want to invite you to just raise a hand, not to me, but to the Lord as a way of saying, yeah, this is, this is me, Lord. I'm in this place of just waiting for you. Or I'm in this place of just struggling with some issues of just basic faith. Or Lord, I'm just calling upon your name because I want, I want to receive more of your power in my life. You might keep your hand up the whole time or you might not put your hand up at all. That's fine. It's just between you and the Lord. But I'm going to lead you in prayer as we just close our time together. So let's bow in prayer together. And Lord, I first of all want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who would say, yeah, I just identify with this word, wait. And I want to say, Lord, I just feel like I'm in this place of waiting, this something or some things that I've just been praying about for a long time and uh, I've been asking you Lord for response, I've been asking you for your action, asking you to bring about some sort of change and so I'm in that place of waiting and I perhaps I'm struggling with that but I, um, I hear this word wait and it somehow resonates so Lord as uh, some of us lift our hands to you Just reflect, Lord, on that verse in Isaiah that reminds us that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Think of the Psalms, Lord, many of them that just encourage us to wait on the Lord, just to wait. And so, Lord, for those who are in that place of waiting, grant your patience grant your blessing Lord grant your understanding of the reasons why certain things are or are not taking place we trust you Lord for your timing struggle and yet we put our faith in you and Lord as we come to this word believe I think of the man that encountered Jesus who said Lord I believe but help my unbelief So Lord, this morning, for those who would lift a hand to you and say, I'm just battling, Lord, with some uh, matters of faith. I do believe, but I'm struggling. And so Lord, I ask you to help me and to come by the power of your Spirit 
and help me to understand and learn more of what it means to be a person who lives by faith. Not a person who just holds a set of beliefs in my head, but that I live by faith and I live out my faith. And so help my unbelief. And Lord, lead me and show me your ways, teach me your ways and help me to walk by faith and not by sight. And then Lord, finally, for those amongst us who would be wanting to raise a hand to you and say, Lord, I want to receive more. I'm a believer. I'm one of your people. I want to just receive more from you. More power. I want to to see and experience and hear and know and understand more of the power of God in my life. Think of that occasion when you met with the disciples. You had that conversation with Thomas and you, you said, Peace be with you. And you breathed on them, Lord, and said, Receive my spirit. Oh, Lord, would you breathe on us. Those of us who have a heart to receive. Breathe your life into us, Lord, that we might receive more of you, we might understand more of you, that we might, in a greater way, sense what you're doing in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Oh, help us, Lord, to depend upon you and to receive from you, even this morning and in weeks to come, as we commit ourselves afresh to you. We receive your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. Anoint us afresh, we pray. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.